This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, tonight, we'll wrap up our look at the Dolphins 2016 draft. We got through most of it last week. We'll finish it up tonight. Uh, the special treat tonight is we'll air our interview with uh, Miami Dolphins punter Matt Darr. Ron and I sat down with him a week ago Tuesday. We'll play that segment in its entirety. We'll talk a little bit about it. I had a really good time with it. I know Ron did, too. Um, our phones are open throughout the show tonight. If you want to chat with us on the air, you can call us at 347-326-9461. Ron and I spent literally our entire Tuesday this week arguing with people on Twitter. I am more than happy to escalate that battle to the phone, so bring it on. Uh, without further ado, I want to introduce my co-host. You know him as the guy behind Unsquish the Fish podcast, Mr. Ron Canis, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, your new Twitter avatar is so professional. I just want to say that. Isn't it though? That's uh, I have to give props to uh, Josh Hoots. Uh, I think he's at Hoots H O U T Z. I'm probably killing his name, by the way. Hoots, probably Hoots, whatever. I call him Hout. Hout's okay. Uh, he's a Finsider's writer, actually, but he put that together for me. It's very nice of him. Yeah, he's a he's a really nice kid. Um, I am actually not sure how old he is. I know he's married, so uh, he's got to be of a certain age. He's actually going to give us a call in about I think 45 minutes. I think he's one of the guests we'll bring on. He, I know he's wanted to do this show for a while, and we just really haven't found time, like a, a common time where we can meet up. So I think he'll give us a call. We'll talk a little bit about his handiwork with your uh, avatar. So what inspired you to do that? Uh, honestly, I was just looking for something where people look at it and they say, oh, this guy must know what he's talking about. Look how professional that is. And, of course, they'll read a couple of tweets and unfollow me instantly. But, uh, you know, just trying to give uh, off the illusion of professionalism. It's like um, Uncle Chaps where he's eating the uh, the ice cream bar or whatever in his. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. Uncle Pretty Chaps. Funny. No, I don't, I don't know. I have to look for that one. He's the yeah, one that I know, fake. I just was Go ahead. He fake breaks all the news. He was the one who uh, he put up that Olivier Vernon to Jacksonville thing and then ESPN nabbed it and put it on the show and then it turned out it was completely false. It was fake. Yeah, okay, I know which one you're talking about now. Yeah, I was just, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to change, change it up. That's why I changed my username like a month back and changed the avatar, you know, something, something better. Uh, before we get to that DAR interview, um, which I spent time uh, editing and uploading, and it was kind of funny because we recorded it, and then uh Kevin was like, yeah, now you just uh, have to edit out all the noise and everything. And I was like, cool, how do you do that in Blog Talk Radio? And he's like, oh, no, you have to use a separate editor. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So now I'm just going to set aside time to figure out how to do that. 
I managed to eventually put it together. And I think that it's, it's certainly usable. I am by no means a, a master when it comes to using these programs. So it was kind of like a crash course in brain surgery in that regard. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say uh, audacity is good for that, but uh, I'm sure that's everybody's tired of listening to hear us talking. About, yeah. That's the best one to use. I'm sure everybody's he- tired of hearing us talk about that anyway. <laughs> no, never, 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 no, never. No. Talk about no. the boring behind the scenes stuff. Hey, if we have to do it, you're going to listen to it. Uh, a couple of things, a couple of things as, as we're building up to this. Um, and you and I mentioned this off the program, but my, my Twitter feed is just filled with people laughing at the Toronto Raptors for those YYZ shirts. I saw even David, David Hyde, who's a, a South Florida sports writer was like, boy, are they just desperate for ideas? YYZ is, as, as we talked off air, it is the Toronto airport code. It's also one of the most famous mm-hmm. songs by Canada's most famous band rush. Uh, it is an instrumental. So, this has got to be a, a gener just a generational thing, because now I talk when people want to talk about Toronto, they talk about that idiot Drake, because I know he like goes all the games, and I guess Justin Bieber is a Toronto fan, even though like he has like every hat of every team ever, too. So I just remember when people associate Toronto with you know Neil Young and Rush, and there might be some people listening to the show who are like, who's Neil Young? To which case you are you are killing me from the inside out, but I just, I, I realize that a lot of these people I follow on Twitter are probably considerably younger than I am, which sounds really bad, but at the same time, it's, it's like, I mean, this is when they look at Toronto, they think, well, that's Drake or, you know, that's Justin Bieber or that's I don't know, some overrated artist that's come from that Canadian, Canadian city. So I don't know, but I just went through my my feed today and it just absolutely killed me. I went through my feed yesterday and I saw a bunch of arguing going on about Laramie Tunsil. If we can go ahead, we'll segue right into this. Uh, Because you were fighting people on Twitter all morning and I felt left out. So that afternoon when I got got free from work a little bit, I jumped right in it. And so the thing with Laramie Tunsil right now is you've got this argument going on. Is he going to play left tackle? early on, or is he going to play guard? And I had one of the guys from Miami pod arguing with me. And like, I've had him when we, um, we used to do Which our, um, Oscar or uh, Ian, uh, Oscar. And we've had okay. Oscar, like I, uh, Duke and I, when we were doing our, um, our, our Google hangout show, like Oscar came out, he's a really nice guy. He's really intelligent when it comes to football. But I mean, like he and I have argued on Twitter a couple of times about stuff. And I mean, like, it's just philosophical, um, you know, leanings more often than not. But so I put out that I, th- I mean, I think Tunts or yeah, I think Tunsil's good enough to play guard. I think he's an incredible talent. He's in my mind, the best left tackle prospect to come out in years. I think he's better than Tyron Smith was coming out of Dallas, which is saying a lot because Tyron Smith has turned into an incredible left tackle for Dallas. But I mean, you go through the years, and you you if you add Laramie Tunsil to that draft class, I would say he's better than the guys in it. Like for instance, uh, 2008, Jake Long goes first overall. Ryan Claddy was a big name that year. Uh, you had a lot of guys who were big names that didn't pan out. Chris Williams was one of them. Uh, Brandon Albert was in that class. He's turned in. Yeah. You know, he he was a guard coming out of Virginia. His 
turned into a, like a very good NFL left tackle. Dwayne Brown was an underrated guy. Houston gets him near the end of the, the first round. A real good zone-blocking scheme uh, tackle. You throw Laramie Tunsil in there, though, I think he's the best guy in the class. Go the previous year. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. you know, the big guy goes in 2007, Joe Thomas. You know, yeah, for... Yeah, probably, I would say probably the best left tackle of the last last decade. If not, he's he's definitely up there. I would take Laramie Tunsil over Joe Thomas. So you're starting to look at, you're talking about these guys who are these incredible talents on the left side of the line. And I think Miami just drafted a guy who, who trumps them. Just had him fall into his lap with, you know, his Bane gas mask, whatever that that NASA contraption was that he had in that video, you know, Miami lands this guy. And I think that he's, he's going to be right up there with guys like Tyron Smith as the best left tackles in the game. He's that good. And I think he's going to get better too. I think as he's, as he's coached, because right now he's a guy where he's insanely athletic. I mean, you've heard rumblings about how Adam Gase wants to use him, you know, as a pass catcher at times. Uh, yeah. He, was doing that he at, has some, he has some, uh, some tape out there of catching passes. Yeah. He's a massive human who moves insanely well. It's actually kind of frightening if you think about it. Cause I mean, people that big. I could, I, yeah. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. And I've been, remember I asked you like a couple of weeks ago, Hey, where do you watch tape? And you told me, so I've been watching tape like in every, all my free time, trying to watch all the dolphins draftees and everything. And when I saw that, I was like, is that actually Tunzel? Like I was trying to really make sure that it wasn't something someone had thrown in there. And not no. like that guy looks like a tight end. I mean, he could be a tight end. He is so fast for how big he is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I mean, he, yeah, he is just insane. As an athlete, he's got great technique. I mean, he had Omar came, come out and say he's not a mover. He's everything you want as a left tackle. I mean, do not let that background noise get to you. But I, I mentioned Brandon Albert, uh, I believe going into his ninth year, has been a left tackle at the NFL level, but I've always maintained that I think he's a better guard than he is a tackle. He was an insanely talented guard at Virginia. He came out, went to the chiefs, made it clear he wanted to be a left tackle. I remember that was an, uh, a conversation that sort of attached itself to his draft stock in 2008 when, and then the chiefs drafted him. So I think he's very good on the left side of the line. He is excellent when he's healthy, but he's going into his ninth year. He has struggled to stay healthy. I mean, last year he actually, for the most part, held it together. Um, even though there was plenty of times where I think we all gasped because we, we thought that he was, he was down for the count. Um, going into his ninth year and you just drafted the best left tackle that I've seen in ages. So it's like, are you going to go ahead and you're going to put that left tackle at guard and just play him there and just wait it out with Albert? Or do you go ahead and ultimately, in my opinion, do Albert a favor, flip him inside where you might even see more longevity with his career because he's certainly strong enough, has the you know length and punch to hold up at left guard. He's just, he's a very good athlete. Because, I mean, and the reason I put, I put all this out there and I was arguing with people on Twitter and there are great points for and against it, but the, are the Dolphins looking to put their five best offensive linemen on the on the field next year? Because their moves this offseason do not suggest that they're they're planning on winning at all next year. I think they'll be competitive. I think they'll be 
a better team than they were last year. I don't know that they can help but be a better team because I think that the coaching makes it almost irresistible in terms of their development. I think you'll see more from Ryan mm-hmm. Tannehill. That's of course a wild card right now. You're seeing a lot of arguments for and against. And I mean, you're seeing, you saw this in March and April. And I mean, you're not going to know anything about that guy until September. Cause I mean, like he could come out and camp and kill it, but I mean, who cares? Cause it's not yeah, going to matter. We've, seen, the we've seen all that before. Sure. I mean, like he could come out and camp and just absolutely make it rain downfield to Devonte Parker. You know, and all of a sudden, you, you, we saw him at the end of last season develop into this new toy downfield where, I mean, he's got that insane catch radius. He gets to everything. He's a matchup nightmare for corners across the league. So it makes sense that you get your your guy who's a little bit shaky throwing downfield. You get him that target, and all of a sudden, it's not a big deal. It, I mean, mm-hmm. blurs the edges, as they'd say. So, I mean, you're not – anyway, all that to say, you're not going to know about it until September. Yeah. Um, you got this backfield now where, I mean, it's it's young and it's fairly unproven because you're going to have J.H.I.A., Kenyon Drake back there. Um, it, you know, after people thought it was going to be C.J. Anderson or they thought it was going to be Lamar Miller coming back on a second contract. I don't know that you're you're looking to move over your guys on the offensive line just because you're looking to start your best guys. If this team thought they could, they could get to the Super Bowl, then I think, yeah, you go ahead and you would throw Tunsil inside. I mean, you write it out. I mean, you assume that it's not going to stun his growth because I think he's too good for that. But then I had people come out and they're like, well, it's that's a wrong assumption to think he can play guard. And, I mean, I'm not a brilliant football mind. If I was, If I was a great football mind, I'd be working for the NFL. I wouldn't be hosting a podcast about the NFL. But at the same time, it's like I've seen a lot of good guards and a lot of good tackles come through the NFL. And I just think that if when you got a guy of Laramie Tunsil's caliber, I'm not really sure that it makes complete sense to go ahead and just kick him over just because Brandon Elberts earned it or whatever they're saying out there because he managed to stay healthy yeah. last season, you know, which is great. And, I mean, like he had to lose a little bit of weight. But, I mean, like he's got some gifts that – have made him a strong left tackle and somebody called him elite um when he's healthy yeah i think that he's up there i think he's that good the thing is though is i don't know that you can bank on him being healthy at this point up until last season it was an issue so much so that people were talking about offensive line in this draft even before laramie tunsil was even a thought yeah, so, you and I had spoken about Conklin a lot, that that could be a possibility for the Dolphins. I think most fans didn't want to see him go that way, but we both thought strongly that the board might work out that way, that they could take Conklin. I think they liked him. but And, I mean, it also comes out that they liked Eli Apple. I mean, they said as much. And we laughed when, I mean, he went 10th overall to New York. Yeah. So, so I mean, all that to say, there's great points for and against. And I love talking to Oscar about that kind of stuff because he's really good with it. Uh, he's mm-hmm. gotten, he was the first guy I saw on Twitter who was into Billy Turner two years ago. Yeah. There was a really, there was a really good guard slash tackle class that year. You had like Joel Batonio who ended up in Cleveland. I think he was out of uh, the university of Nevada. Um, and then, I mean, Billy Turner was one of them too. So, I mean, like he's really hip to that. And I love having these sort of discussions with him. And I kind of, because he, those guys on the pod have been talking all week about they're not really big fans of the Jakeem Grant pick. So I, I was just yeah, kind of trolling I, him. I, I, ha- I haven't been a big fan of that pick either. I, I just thought, especially once you drafted Drake, uh, I, I felt like, I won't say it was pointless, but it almost felt a little 
like pointless. Like what you got, Drake, he's going to be a great returner. So now you're going to draft Grant too. I, I didn't quite understand that, uh, honestly, uh, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I, I mean, I get that part of it. But so if people are arguing with me that Tunsil should, they're not sure he can play guard, but they want Albert at tackle, that confuses me. Because then where do you think Tunsil is going to go here? Yeah, it's one I mean, or the other. Because, I mean, I hate the idea of him going to right tackle, especially when he just drafted Jawan James two years ago. And if you're going to go ahead and use the whole health argument with Brandon Albert, you have to apply that to Jawan James, too. Because when Jawan James is healthy, I think he's a very good tackle as well. Not Brandon Albert caliber over on the left side. But Jawan James, I think, is a very good right tackle in the league when he's healthy. Now, I know he had the dislocated toe last year, which is pretty gross. But... I just like you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, Jamon James is never healthy, so put him over there. When in fact, that I mean, that real health case on the line has been Brandon Albert, which is, I mean, seems unfair to say, but I mean, this is the NFL. That's what happens. This is why teams have contingency plans all over. So, and I like Brandon Albert. I wanted to sign him. I mean, like he's making a lot of money with this team. I mean, he's got a big cap hit. Um, but yeah, this year he's this year he's pretty much untradeable, uncuttable. For this year, yeah, and he's a good player. I mean, I really like him, yeah. and I'm I love the fact that he came back from injury because I mean, like, he, I mean, he was really banged up in 2014, and a lot of people are like, "Well, we better do something." But I mean, like, he buckled down, comes back, and played in 2015, and he was healthy. So I, when people see me on Twitter and they start saying like, "Well, what do you have against Brandon Albert?" I got a couple of emails about that. I don't have anything against Brandon Albert. I think he's a fantastic player, but when you have the protection issues Miami has had and health is an issue for a guy, you need to start thinking beyond that. And then when you have a player like Laramie Tunsil land in your lap like that, you really need to start thinking about, well, maybe this just totally upsets the cart. Cause I mean like that is a total gift that fell into their lap. In my opinion, I like They could not have been more fortunate. I mean, it's like they true. were, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say uh, one of the things I think that, we're not really we're not really considering here that Miami might be considering is I agree with you that Miami's not really moving like they think they're winning a Super Bowl this year or maybe not like they're even going to go to the playoffs this year so why not put Tunzel at left tackle there'll still be an NFL learning curve at that position where he's going to be facing a lot of uh, great players you know right defensive ends there's going to be a learning curve there it's not going to be like in college where he let three people kind of get to the quarterback in two years or whatever the crazy number was because it was something really ridiculous like that. Um, the one thing you have to consider for this whole team is, is yes, they're, they're on a progression. They're seeing the future for Gase. They're saving comp picks. They're saving money. They are considering, you know, next year and beyond in every move, but they probably feel in their mind. The one thing they got to figure out this year is, is Tannehill their quarterback. And the only way you figure that, and the only way you're going to figure that out is they need the best combination on day one at the left side of the line at tackle and at guard. And if they already have a pro bowl tackle, that's, I think a bigger reason why they move Tunzel in. I think Tunzel will end up at left tackle before the year's over. And if not before the year's over by next year, he's going to be left tackle. Anyway, people that make the argument that you will ruin him, because you put him at guard, I think it's the silly. I just, I just drive, that drives me crazy. I can't stand when I hear people say you're going to ruin him. Is he maybe not the best fit for guard? Is he a better fit for tackle? Yes, 
But overall, when you talk about the best five, in this case, for that side of the line especially, you really need the best five because you've got to figure out Tannehill. If you're Gase in Greer, you've got to figure out Tannehill this year. You can't have another year of excuses as to why the, the line couldn't protect him, so Tannehill really, we really couldn't see what Tannehill could do. So in well, that case, I think that is a lot of their consideration. And even though Tunzel is important and he's hopefully going to be our left tackle for 10 years, even a more important position on the team is quarterback, and you've got one year to figure it out, 16 games, and you don't have time for even four or five-game learning curve, unfortunately. See, here's my argument to that, though. If you're talking about the five best players on the field, if you move Brandon Albert to guard where he's played before, you know what you have in that commodity. And, I mean, you have a strong left tackle prospect on that side. So is the best combination Albert at guard and Tunsil at tackle? which I suspect could eventually become the case. I don't think it will right off the bat. Is that a better combination than throwing, than keeping Albert where he's been and putting an unknown commodity at left guard for the short term? I mean, that's, that's the thing that I feel like that's, I'm just trying to raise that question right now, because to me, that's a legitimate question. Cause if you are talking about, you want to get that most out of the quarterback. And I suspect that I'll bet you that Adam Gase already has a good idea of, what Ryan Tannehill is all about. I think Adam Gase is that good. I think he's going to know what he has before that team even takes the field for a regular season game. We won't as spectators, as analysts, as guys who look at this game. I think Adam Gase will. And he's going to know, is this a guy you ride with long-term or is this guy you simply ride it out and then go ahead and find your guy. But if you're looking for that combination I, I, it comes down to the fact that I like Brandon Albert as a guard. I know he doesn't want to play there, but as he's getting older and as the new guards coming through, it's not about what you want. It's about what you do well. You play that position in college and, and uh, argument I got on Twitter, someone was like, well, he hasn't been there in quite a while. Yeah. It's almost been a decade since he played guard. Yeah. It's been, it's been eight years at this point. Uh, But something to consider is that, in a, in a league where you see guys get moved around all the time and he's played the position before, is there a transition period? Yeah. But you have to understand you're not simply moving him over and in a lateral move, putting a guy at left tackle, who you, I mean, might sink or swim. Like I said, Laramie Tunsil, I mean, we're talking about a once in a decade left tackle prospect here. He's that good. He should have been the number one, you know, if not for the guys trading up, he would have been the number one pick in this draft. I think he would have been the number one pick in a, in a couple of drafts. And people tend to overlook the fact that at one point left tackles going number one overall, nearly unheard of. Cause you had Ron Yeri who did it 1968. You had Orlando pace 1997. Pace. And that's, that was kind of what started the trend was pace in the late nineties. That yeah, was like, pace. I was like even, and I didn't follow the draft. I was like 20, you know, three years old then, or, or however old I was or 21 years old. And I was just like, an offensive lineman is the first overall pick. I had never heard of that in my life. You know what I mean? But that kind of started the trend a little bit because the importance of that position started to grow and, you know, in the NFL as opposed to just quarterbacks and wide receivers. Yeah. And St. Louis traded up for that pick because the Jets originally had it and they wanted to take Peyton Manning and then Archie talked Peyton into going back to school. So, I mean, and then, and then, I mean, we all know it leads to Manning leaf the next year. And then it happens with Jake Long. Then it happens with Eric Fisher. One of these things is not like the other, you know? I mean, Eric Fisher has been a good player for Kansas city and he was, he, his selection 
number one overall kind of reflection of what that 2013 draft was all about. But I mean, like I just, it comes down to the fact that I am higher on all on Brandon Albert as a guard than some people, because I watched him play at Virginia. I always thought, even when he switched over and played tackle in the NFL, he's been very good at that position. What I saw when he played guard, I thought he was better there. I understand that he's got the, you know, he's got the punch. He's got the kick slide. He does a lot of things well at the position and he was an a pro bowl alternate, but keep in mind, he was an alternate. He was an alternate because other people weren't going. But yeah. when I watched him play for the Cavaliers, you know, when he was in college, he was outstanding. That guy was an unbelievable left guard prospect. So good. In fact, that you knew that his skill could lend to playing left tackle and it has, and if not for injuries, you know, he's the best tackle to come out of that draft, which was you know, at that time, loaded. I mean, you had guys like Gosser Cherilis going in that draft. Sam Baker went in that draft. And Sam Baker turned out to be a really disappointing pick for the Atlanta Falcons. And a fellow USC guy, which is why Tyron Smith got so much noise when he came out in 2011. But, so, I mean, I get both of it. And the point you, you brought up about this being the year of Tannehill, I completely agree. Because regardless of what happens, they need to know what they've got under center. But like I said, I suspect that Adam Gase is going to figure that out before any of us do. And then we'll see at that point. But when people can, I had a couple of people argue with me last or tweet me yesterday talking about how, well, the Dolphins are totally competing this year. If you're starting Xavier Howard day one, if you're planning to like they are, you're willing to take some bumps. Okay. If yeah, they you're were, gonna take, you're gonna get blown out. That cornerback unit as a whole is just poor. Likely, it's gonna, they're gonna yeah, get a lot of big plays gotten against them this year. I I think it's gonna end up being really really good. I think they got the right personnel in there for Vance Joseph, and I totally applaud the way that they did it because they traded okay. back and and managed to still get the best player in my opinion in this draft. And then you managed to acquire a starting linebacker in Kiko Alonso. And it's a little weird that they're calling uh, Byron Maxwell a number one corner, but whatever, here we are. But I think eventually, I think Vance Joseph, these are the these are the type of players that he wanted. He gets them. Mm-hmm. So, and I like Xavier Howard. They're going to be bumps, though. I mean, Xavier Howard isn't going to come out and just absolutely throw down an island right off the bat. But he's got the skill set that, it, I mean, it's pretty rare. I mean, fast, long, uh, great size, really strong. So, I mean, ultimately, yeah. I think that that'll be really exciting. But, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be something at first. Yeah, I want I, if I could switch the conversation just for a second on the, and, and back to the Tunzel thing, I got to ask, I guess if we we know what we think, what I think about it, what you think about it, what the Twitter thinks about it. Ob, it seems obvious, though, that the Dolphins are moving Tunzel to guard, at least to start camp that way. Agreed. I mean, that appears to be the move they're making. Why do yeah. you think that is? So if especially that you don't agree with it specifically, like I'm fine with it. I don't see it as a big deal because I think he's going to be the left tackle by halfway through the year or something anyway. But uh, if not by the end of the year, uh, what what do you think the if you're going to try and put yourself in the Dolphins mindset? It seems fairly obvious they're keeping Brandon at left tackle and moving Tunzel in. W- what do you think their thoughts are on that? Why are they doing that? I just think that that's probably the obvious play right now. Like I said, I don't have a problem with that. I would do it differently, but I think that you have two very good players over on the left side, which is why I don't really take it personally whenever this conversation comes up, because ultimately Laramie Tunsil is going to end up over there. 
And I don't think you're really going to ruin any sort of uh, development that he's got going on. But I'm a bigger fan. It comes down to the fact that I like Brandon Albert as a guard. And I'm just going to argue this case. But, I mean, as we mentioned it, I mean, it's something where, like, suppose it, it came out. And they move Albert inside and Laramie Tunsil goes to tackle. I'm not some sort of football genius. It's just a lucky guess. It just so happened that the team, you know, likes Laramie Tunsil enough where they're willing to go ahead and kick that guy inside. It's not like I read the tea leaves on it and I look smarter than everyone else. I can assure you I am not a, a genius football mind here. Football's not even my football spot, my favorite sport. I just enjoy it. Um, before we do the DAR interview, do you want to take a call? Oh, yeah, let's go for it. I believe this is from my home state. This would be Illinois. Um, you're on the air. What's going on? Illinois, you are on the air. Hmm. Hello. We'll give him one more shot. Yeah, we tried. Uh, if they really want it, they'll come back, and hopefully they they won't greet us with silence this time. Uh, at this point, uh, we'll go ahead. You want to take a quick commercial, and then we'll we'll get to the uh, the Dar interview, and then um, we got Josh. I, I always call him House. I think Josh House uh, is going to give us a call. We'll, we'll ask him. We'll ask him when he comes on how he pronounces his name. But to kind of tie all this together, I agree. I think that the team. I mean, the way it looks like they're going to put Tunsil in as a guard. I mean maybe they are just looking and if they are looking to get their five best players on the field, it's absolutely because they're trying to maximize their evaluation of Ryan Tannehill. And that you yeah, can't I think ever that's really the, I think that's really the idea because if they either felt totally confident in their quarterback or just were throwing in a, a tweener type stopgap quarterback, Laramie Tunsil would be going to left tackle. And I don't, I don't think there'd be a question of it. And, and, and Brandon would either go into guard or, or, or sit down and not play. I mean, that's honestly if they were in either of the other situations, but because they still have questions on Tannehill, they got to try and fi- somehow get the best five because as far as a good offensive line in front of him, Tannehill's never had that. For, I mean, he does have some of his own issues that have nothing to do with the line. That's definite. But, I mean, he, he really hasn't had a chance on that aspect. So they're going to try and give him a chance, and I think that's the biggest reason for the move. Yeah, I can't really disagree with that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Finsider Radio on SB Nation. Uh, we are the the Finsider, uh, the Finsiders, um, I guess he calls our official podcast or something ridiculous like that. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the Matt Dar interview. Uh, we'll be right back. It's time to answer the call, little buddy. I'm talking about big beef, dislocate your jaw kind of wide. This, that, charbroiled unicorn boy, bacon, big pig, slab, cut thick, sizzling for shizzling on velvet sheet of ooey gooey. Ooh, a wild, wild western bacon cheeseburger. Carl Jr. I'm calling your name. All right, here we are. So uh, we'll go ahead and we'll do the the Dar interview. Then we'll go ahead and take some calls after the fact. I've got one sitting on the uh, on the line right now, so I'll get to them. I'll screen them real quick and then uh, go ahead and get through it. But here's our Dar interview with uh, Miami Dolphins punter Matt Dar. Joining us now is Matt Dar, punter for the Miami Dolphins. Matt, welcome to Finsight Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great, 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 great to be here. 
Uh, we'll get right to it. Uh, there's a new sheriff in Miami with Adam Gase. Uh, what have you seen from the coaching staff thus far? I realize it's early with minicamp and everything, but is there a different feeling around the practice facility right now? Yeah, absolutely. We um, we actually did have our uh, veteran minicamp last week, which was uh, kind of our first taste of, of what uh, training camp and season might kind of be like with the new staff and stuff. Um, we had a good time, though. Um you know, Coach Gay brings uh, kind of a different attitude, mentality um, to to the players and, and our team. And, um, you know, for the most part, everybody's got really good uh, uh, vibes going right now. And um, I think we uh, we had a good camp, and, and uh, we're looking to just keep getting better and better as we get closer to season. So you go undrafted last year. Then you beat out a really a heavyweight in Brandon Fields for the starting punter gig. So, I mean, can you just tell us what the last year's been like for you to to go from undrafted kid out of Tennessee <laughs> to starting punter in the NFL? Sure. No, it it, it uh, it's been a whirlwind of a of a year for me. Um, it's been a dream come true in um, all areas. Um, but, uh, you know, I did, I, 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 uh, had a good senior season at Tennessee, but still, you know, was undrafted and, and, um, fortunately had an opportunity, uh, with the Dolphins just to kind of come in and, and compete during training camp. Um, I don't think anybody really let on that, uh, I was a real contender for the job, but, um, you know, my mentality was just to go in and make the most of every opportunity every day. And, um, you know, really kind of focused on myself more than uh, what Brandon was doing the whole time. Um, and uh, throughout the course of, you know, OTAs and then into training camp, um, it was a long process. Don't don't get me wrong. It didn't just happen right away. It seemed like uh, the three longest months uh, leading up to season before I was named a starter. Um, and, uh, and and at that point, once I was named starter, you know, that's when the, the real challenge began for me. And, um, you know, my goal was to uh, to prove to uh, the fans in the NFL as a whole that, you know, I was, um, you know, worth having that job and, and um, you know, wanted to let people know that, um, you know, this is something that I want to I want to do for a long time and, and deserve to be here. And how did you get into special teams? Um, I started, I was a, a linebacker in high school, uh, but I also kicked and punted and, um, uh, went to some camps in high school as a punter and did really well. So I, I got recruited to play college as a punter, um, and, um, probably could have walked on in some places and played linebacker, but, um, you know, realized what, uh, the lifestyle of a punter would be like versus a, a regular position player and kind of chose, um, uh, chose the route I took, but, um, you know, I, I think I, I, it took a lot, a lot of learning for me to really understand what the role of special teams are, uh, throughout college. And then, you know, by the time I had my chance with the Dolphins, I I think I really had a good grasp on it and, uh, transitioned pretty well to the league. I've I've only got a couple more questions and then I'll go ahead and, uh, I'll, uh, turn you over to Ron because I know he's got some questions for you. But one thing I want to ask is um, Robert Aguayo goes second round on Friday night. Sure. What do, what do you think when you see special teams guys go that high? Like when a, a Sebastian Janikowski is <laughs> drafted in the first round or, yeah. you know, or uh, yeah. what do you think? 
No, I, I, I'm envious. Um, you know, that certainly wasn't the the route that I, I had getting to where I am. Um, and that certainly entails a lot more money and signing bonuses and things like that. But, um, you know, great for them. Uh, they they uh, obviously put themselves into a position early on that teams felt comfortable enough to invest on the front end um, for, for them to be with them for uh, – for you know years to come um so i'm i i you know a little envious not not necessarily jealous um um but you know it's a heck of a uh, accomplishment for for all those guys that that come out to get drafted let alone be a specialist and i mean we have to mention it last thursday at the nfl draft dolphins expected to trade up and make a splash instead and they made a huge splash thing at number 13 uh, did you watch that event as it unfolded, and have you had a chance to meet with Laramie Tunsil? No, I, I did. I definitely watched it uh, with some teammates here as it's going on. It's always fun to do just to kind of see who some new teammates are going to be. Um, I haven't had the chance to meet uh, Laramie yet. Um, I know our rookies come in this weekend for a rookie mini camp, and then they, they actually start rolling in uh, next week with, with us for um, – for regular workouts and, and uh, practices. So it'll be great to get the new guys in, and, and we're excited about everybody that we signed. We think that, um, you know, our team and, and organization has done a good job with the draft and, and the guys that we signed to give us, uh, you know, better opportunities for next year. All right, I know Ron's got a couple of questions for you, and then we're just going to finish this interview with, like, quick hits. We're just going to give you these questions. You can just give us one-word answers if you want. I mean, it's just real short form. But, uh, Ron, what do you got for him? Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Yeah, no, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, tell me about the first time maybe you were in practice or something uh, as a linebacker and you and you were either watching the kickers or you just picked up a ball and you were, like, wondering, I wonder if I could punt this. I wonder if I could make it spiral. Like, how did, <laughs> how did you kind of get into, get into the, the, yeah. the punting game? You know, it was uh, – it was, I, I did linebacker in high school, so I, I did all the regular practice – uh, with, you know, the defense and running, uh, you know, team, scout team, everything like that. And then uh, since I was the punter, the head coach in my high school would give me like, you know, one period, you know, seven, eight-minute period to go off to the side and, and work on punting. And uh, during those seven or eight minutes, I was like, this is this is literally what I'm doing. This is all I have to do right here is figure out how to do this and do it well. Um, imagine if I could do this the whole time. Um so that was kind of like the first realization of like, man, this might be the, the sweetest gig uh, to have. Um, so that's kind of what made me fall in love with it. Okay. Um, tell me about your, your biggest moment or just do you think your biggest success in your career, on or, or off the field, in college or in pro? What's the thing you're the most pro- proud about so far? It's funny, um, that question, because I – um, I don't know, some people know, this might be in my bio, but I was a shot put and discus thrower in high school um, in California where I grew up. And my junior year, I won uh, state in both events um, through 63, almost 64 feet in the shot and 192 in discus. And then uh, my senior year, I won state again in, in shot put. And I've always looked at that as like the, the – accomplishment I'm most proud of um to this day you know it was high school track and field and I don't even um play that sport anymore um but then outside of that with football definitely the day that I made uh you know the roster on the Dolphins was something I'll never forget 
Oh, that's awesome. You ever had a you ever had a, a, a dream or just kind of like that fantasy about like making a big stick as a punter? Guy fumbles the ball, you like pick it up and run it in for a touchdown. Does <laughs> that kind of thing ever cross your mind, or you just pretty much just focus on what you got to do and not think about things like that? Yeah, I, I'd say I probably more just focus on my job. I always say, you know, if it comes down to the point where I have to make a tackle and you know cause a fumble, that's awesome. But you know, something went wrong to where I'm the one making the tackle. Either the they broke through the coverage or it was a bad punt. You know, something along the line broke down. Um, my goal is to just, you know, not have to do anything and maybe drop punts inside the ten every time. That would be, that would be the ultimate best. All right, and a one last question from me: uh, How much time during the off season do you spend actually practicing punting versus uh, doing other workout uh, regimens? Um, you know, I, I took, after this season was, was, uh, you know, I was pretty worn out going through your rookie year, they say is, is your longest season you'll ever have coming off of the college season, having to train for, um, you know, workouts, pro day and those types of things. So you really don't have an off season. Um, so this year I did, I took, you know, eight weeks and, and didn't punt a ball, but after two weeks of doing nothing, I started working out. So I, I say we're doing more. Um, you know, physical preparation for training camp and working out. And then we kind of ramp up um, the punting side of things uh, as we get closer because, you know, the worst thing to do is, you know, go into training camp with a dead leg and then, you know, try to hang on to what you have for uh, 16 weeks. So um, it's very strategic. We've got a ton of great um, – people at the in the Dolphins organization on the sports science side of things and the strength and conditioning that it's really not hard for me I just kind of go and talk to people and we put our minds together and develop a a, a strategy and a plan and and you know I just the one that has to kind of go through that so it's it's uh it works out really well great all right I'll get uh, back right. to you Keith thanks Matt this is just our – we call it quickest because we don't have a more clever title for it, so we just rip off other people. So, I mean, we're just going to go ahead and uh, give you uh, some real short questions, and you can give us equally short answers. Uh, we'll start okay. – uh, who's the best Who's the best punter in NFL history, in your opinion? Um, Dustin Colquist from Kansas City. All right. Uh, the farthest you've punted a football – um, probably that New England game, 70, 70 yards, whatever it was, Thursday night last year. But I was thinking, too. Uh, how do you feel <laughs> about longer PATs? I realize you're not the one kicking them, but how do you feel about the longer point after attempts now? Um, gosh, you know, I, I feel like I don't have any control over it, so I just go out there and hold the ball for our kicker and hope, you know, for the best. But, um you know, I think it definitely changes the game as far as, you know, you can look at last year and the statistics go with it. So if guys are, you know, if fans are wanting a closer game and, and they're willing to to have that lie in the the fact that PATs are going to be a part of it, then I think it probably helps the game. But uh definitely makes it uh, more difficult on, on our end as specialists. How about the NFL player you're closest with? Um gosh man outside of Andrew Franks because we do everything together every single day um there's there's definitely guys on other teams that I look up to other punters uh around the league Thomas Morstead Dustin Colquitt um 
Britt and Colquitt. Those are guys that I try to kind of learn from uh, as far as my position specifically. But, um, you know, there's so many great players in the NFL that, that are good people outside of it that um, I've come to realize since I've been in. How about the most pressure you've felt while making a punt during your rookie season? Oh, man. Um, probably that was Monday night punts against the Giants when the game was tight. And we just our, – our offense was going. We were getting, you know, we were getting there. We just – we'd get to midfield and we'd just get stalled. And uh, those those were the punts I didn't want to hit touchbacks on. I didn't want to um, – you know, leave them short. I just wanted to, to put our defense in a situation where we could hold them again and get our offense back out there. Those those intense situational-type punting, um, you know, I feel a lot of pressure, uh, but it's mostly coming from myself because I just want to put the team in the best situation. Who was your favorite NFL team while you were growing up? That's a tough question. I, I was never really a huge team guy. I've watched all the teams. I've watched all the punters on different teams and things like that. Um, so I, I couldn't, I'm not even going to say I had one. I thought you were going to give us the Ryan Tannehill answer, whereas he didn't even know the, the teams in the divisions when he came into the league as, as oh, moralized on hard knock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, all right, what would you do for a living if you couldn't punt the football in the NFL? I think I'd be a uh, a pilot, um, either in the armed forces. My my dad was a pilot in the army. My my um, uncle was too, and that was something I always kind of thought would be a possibility for me. Um, but um, happy to be doing what I'm doing these days. All right, and last question. I realized that because it was your rookie year, there's only a um, a small sampling here. But your favorite stadium to punt in. Sure. Um, I think uh, Gillette Stadium was was probably uh, on the top for me as far as neat stadiums and atmosphere to be in. Um, Outside of that, Uh, Randy. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, that's that's good. Uh, Randy, anything else? Actually, I have uh, one, just one quick question. Um, as the holder, do you get a chance, maybe even off season, to practice throwing just in case the uh, opportunity were arise where you had to throw it even in an emergency situation, not necessarily planned? Is that something you ever work on, or not something you ever really absolutely. do? Yeah, no, absolutely. When uh, if you ever see the kickers at practice and we're kind of done with our work for the day or something, we're usually playing catch or throwing the ball around like. It's definitely something that we always want to know how to do it in case it ever came down to it. And then um, on on the fake side of things or, you know, if, if uh, you get a fire call um, as a holder, we, we actually do practice that in um, special teams periods, rolling out and throwing to wings and ends that are releasing and stuff. So I like to think I'm competent enough to uh, to hold my own in those situations, yeah. So that was our our interview with uh, Matt Dar. We should probably go ahead and uh, give the context behind that. It, it it's kind of funny, and I suppose in a way you can kind of hear it. Uh, I was at work. Ron was in the parking lot of where he works. Uh, I was sitting in the break room, and there's a couple times when we were doing that interview, when the this one lady came into the uh, the break room 
and was being really noisy. I was going through the vending machine and everything, and I just muted my phone, and I was like, hey, you, get out. And then so, <laughs> so, so we're just sitting there like, I'm trying to interview Matt Dar. What's wrong with you? <laughs> They're like, who the hell's Matt Dar? <laughs> I know, like, like Matt Dar, who? Matt who? I, was, I had a great setup. I was in this huge break room. I was in the corner by myself, just kind of like huddled on my laptop and my phone, and it was all going well. And then she comes in just like gangbusters, just blah, 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 just banging around everything. And I was like, you are ruining my life right now. I'm trying to talk to the Miami Dolphins punter. Yeah, my, my only issue was like, I mean, I'm in my car. I'm in my car in the parking lot of my store. And one of my employees comes up to me and they're like looking in the window, staring at me, trying to figure out why is he just sitting on the car in his phone? Why doesn't he just go in the store? And they're just kind of looking at me funny. So I was just like, I just kind of ignored her. I just kind of looked and smiled and tried to look away. Like, leave me alone right now. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, Finsider Radio, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, what's up, guys? Not much. What's going on? This is uh, this is Josh Houts. I knew it. I knew it was Houts. Houts, man. I, I did it. I had two guesses, and they were both wrong. I rule. <laughs> Yeah, it's just how. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. I didn't know how to pronounce it. How, yeah, who not your... many people do. Well, see, I got it together the first time. So, uh, how nice. who's your who's your favorite player the Dolphins selected in this draft? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to like the Laramie Tunsil pick. But if yeah, I mean. Let's go. Let's go in the layers a little bit. Is there a guy outside of uh, outside of Tunsil where they took him, and you're like, yeah, that's a guy I wanted. Like for me, it's I wanted to get Xavier Howard in that second round, and then I got him, and I was able to sit there and talk a bunch of crap to people on Twitter for the next couple of hours, and that completed my Friday. But is there anyone you really wanted in there? Well, that we ended up getting not really. I mean, I like the Leonto uh, Caro pick. I feel like he's a good player and. Although wide receiver wasn't a need, I think he's going to be a playmaker for this team. Yeah, we actually just got another call, and he'll call. I talked to him during the uh, the interview break. Um, he wanted to ask about the uh, wide receiver group going forward. I'll save that question for him. But I will ask you, what do you see this team doing this year, and how do you feel about them under Adam Gates? you think – I mean, I'm not expecting every, everything to be turned around right off the bat, but are you feeling like this is – finally going in the right direction after several years of we think this is going in the right direction, but it's really not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've been let down time and time again. I do think Adam Yates is probably the best head coach we've had in a couple of years. I think it was funny. Uh, I hear a lot of predictions this year and people at Miami winning like five to seven games. I looked in under Joe Phil, Miami was seven to nine, eight and eight, eight and eight. And then last year they're one to three. I mean, if they can do that under Phil, it's kind of hard not to expect them to do it at least something similar under Adam Gates. I I feel like a corpse could have done the majority of what Joe Philbin did during his time down <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. I've been I've been pretty critical of him as a head coach, but that's because he was a terrible head coach. Uh let a lot of things go awry during his time there. Um had zero control of the locker room. Um a terrible sound bite, which I mean isn't isn't bad if you can back it up. Like, I mean, Bill Belichick's a crap soundbite for the most part until he drops like a real gem and just sounds like a real grumpy old man. But the guy's got the coaching record where he can behave that way. He can go out there 
looking like he's homeless in one of those hoodies because, I mean, the guy can coach most anyone under the table. Joe Philbin goes out there and is like, hey, I like Seinfeld. I fall asleep watching it every night. You know, go ahead and respect me as a head coach, even though I just sat there and I undermined my quarterback and all this crap. And I refuse to get rid of Kevin Coyle because he's my lunch friend after we just got rid of a regime in which Bill Parcells had a lunch friend and didn't get didn't want to get rid of Dan Henning because they would go, they would go, I don't know, some, some Miami delicatessen after, after practice or whatever. So, I mean, history has a, has a way of repeating itself with this team in terms of the, the, the buffoons they bring. I'm not calling Bill Parcells a buffoon, but I'm calling that coaching staff buffoonery outside of, I did like Tony Sperano. I thought he was a nice guy. Not someone I want coaching my head coaching my team, but I think he, you know, players coach, they clearly liked him. Um, but you just get a different feel with Adam Gase. Like he's in there, but, and I mean, like you hear about it, like the, the players respect him. He commands respect. Um, he gets things done, but make no mistake. As soon as he took the podium for that intro, you know, that introductory press conference, you could tell it's his show. And he had a bunch of people in there like, well, Mike Tannenbaum's just forcing, forcing his staff on him. And it's like, I just, I didn't see that. Yeah. You've got a couple, you know, uh, you got like Lou uh, Anna Rumo in there still. I mean, like you've got like a couple of guys, but I mean, Adam Gase goes up there, talks, and it's clear that, I mean, he worked his ass off to get this position. It's his show. He want in well, something I saw out there and I, and I hate to uh, name check Bleacher Report on an SB Nation show. Um, there's a thing that came through and it was like, um, defense concerned with uh, Adam Gase's fast-moving offense. It's like Adam Gase hired the defensive coordinator. It's it's not like they they only filled out one half of the staff and then the other one's like, well, what are these guys going to do? I mean, like the plan is in place on in all three phases of the game right now. So I didn't really understand that too much. That kind of felt like clickbait to me, and I didn't read the story for that reason. But. I everyone's so apprehensive right now and I don't get it. Like, I mean, I watched Adam Gase and how he conducted himself in Chicago and in Denver. And it was clear he was really, really good at what he did. But the fact that he commands respect tells me that he can take it to the next level because that's what you need to do. If you want to be a head coach at the NFL level, you've got to own the locker room. I hate the term leader of men, but that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, not just yeah. the not just the players too, but the other coaches. That's as important, or maybe even more important, because really he's in charge of them, and they they're the ones doing a lot of the coaching. Yeah, look at Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph looks like he could beat the hell out of someone. I mean, like, yeah, that guy's gonna command that guy's gonna command respect. Like, don't cross Vance. Vance will slap you. And that's that kind of thing in there. You've got these guys now where, I mean, this is I never felt like Joe Philbin's. Um, coaching staff, regime, whatever. I never felt like they commanded much respect, if any at all. And I feel like even if they did in the beginning, it fell to the wayside pretty quick. So my question is, where? Do you, I mean, you mentioned where do you think they are in their first year record-wise? I mean, you, you had those Philbin teams where the I mean they were the masters of seven and nine and eight and eight. Where do you see? Where do you see Gase's first? Uh, first official season, where do they go? You know, I got to think eight and eight. I mean, I don't want to go too high or 
say anything too less, but I think eight needs a pretty good start for Adam Gates. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I'm 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 in the the camp of somewhere between six and eight wins. I, I think a lot of that is gonna be you know, you still got learning a new offense. You know, that's one thing. The quarterback has to learn a new offense. You have a really tough schedule. Uh the whole AFC East has a pretty tough schedule. And I think the Dolphins have it tough because, you know, they the like for instance the Patriots don't have another Patriots. They have to play twice. They get to play the Dolphins. We gotta play the Patriots twice. The Bills and Jets are tough. You know, our outer conference, you know, <laughs> our interleague play, if you will, is pretty tough. I mean, it's just a, it's just tough all the way around. And I really think the biggest reason is the defense is just going to struggle. It's not that I don't have confidence in the new coaching staff, but I, they've just kind of – that secondary, especially the cornerback, just kind of piecing it together right now. Linebacker really isn't improved. I mean, you want to think that it is. But honestly, when you look at who's on the roster, it's really not that improved. And uh, the D-line, which we thought was so great last year, struggled. Uh, so it's pretty much the same D-line now, except, you know, no OV. Now we have Mario Williams. I, I think the defense will be the biggest reason this team will struggle and probably be somewhere in the 6-8 to eight win range. But I, I, I'm not going to think that Gase is a failure because of that. It's just what I'm expecting, e- even if he gets, you know, gets us going on a, a, a good start as far as for the future. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like we mentioned, when you start Xavier Howard – and you expect him to start out of camp and everything? Yeah, you're not you're not playing for all the marbles in year one, and you're willing to take your bumps. We'll go to the phones real fast, and then there's another thing I want to run by you guys, and it's a big story that we've skirted. Uh, is this Lewis? Hello. Hey, what's going on? Now much just finished up, and I'm ready to go. He's primed and ready to go. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, and we haven't talked about, is Dion Jordan, and you're seeing a lot of stuff coming mm-hmm. out. Is he working out with Kiko Alonso? Is he in? Is he out? Is it going to work? And I put up this thing on Twitter last week, and I had um, this isn't an unsubstantiated claim on my part, but I said that if any coaching staff in this league is going to make it work with Deion Jordan, I think Adam Gase can do it. And I got a little bit of flack for that, so I'll just explain it, explain my reasoning behind that right now. And what that is um, – when he was in Denver, he was able to work with some guys that we'll call divas, some guys who were had a reputation for being hard to work with, and he made it work. And he goes to Chicago, and the only guy he really didn't make it work with, Martellus Bennett. And it's not because Martellus Bennett is a knucklehead or a great soundbite or any of that or likes to have fun, maybe doesn't take things as seriously as he should. It's be the football commitment part. And as long as you commit to the football part, Adam Gase will try to find a way to make it work, within reason, obviously. And I think that if Deion Jordan wants to get on that field and he's willing to make it work in a football sense, like he's working with Kiko Alonso, he wants to, he wants to work toward that goal of being a great football player, I think, every, I think a lot of other things, within reason, are negotiable. Is the guy a knucklehead? Yeah. Is he has he lost sight multiple times of what's important? I'd say so, but I also think that probably the least equipped staff to handle Deion Jordan was Joe Philbin's. So, you know, take it for what it is. But I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, do you, ultimate, do you think Deion Jordan's back? Number two, do you think Deion Jordan can contribute at a level that we'll say within the ballpark of being the number three overall pick? What do you think? Is 
seriously, somebody talk. Okay, I'll talk. I'll talk. Uh, here, here's how I feel about Dion Jordan. Uh, I just did a 53 man uh, roster projection, like a super early one, and I did put him on there uh, as making the team. But I will keep saying what I've been saying from the beginning with him. The Dolphins can be hopeful like fans that he can come back and really produce and contribute or even be a role player or what have you. But if the Dolphins are in their plans counting on him doing that, like literally when as they make moves, as they sign players, they're counting on that, then I seriously question uh, what they would be doing and question their thought process because you can't count on him to do it. You can only hope that he does. So the only thing they need to be counting on is when they have a 90-man roster going into training camp, he's one of the 90, and that's it. Beyond that, it just needs to play out. But I do think for some reason, and maybe it's just being a hopeful Dolphin fan, that he's going to make the roster this year and maybe you know even have some pretty decent contribution to the team this year. I don't know that he'll be gangbusters. I mean, really hasn't played much football for a couple years. What do you think, Lewis? Well, for me, the whole Deion Jordan situation – I never thought that Deion Jordan was a bad player. I always thought that he was pretty good. And when he was on the field, he seemed to make an impact. That he, even if it wasn't necessarily a wow play, he was doing something. He had, he was able to rush the passer. He was able to stick with uh, Calvin Johnson a couple years back for a little while. He was able to do a lot of stuff that, that frankly, was, it, it gave us reason to believe that he could be a good player. Maybe not number three overall worthy, but a good player, contributor something along the lines of a Jared Audrey. He was a first-round pick, but he was not like a superstar, first-round kind of guy. He's just a good contributor. The reason that everybody hates him is because that he's apparently a knucklehead who can't keep himself straight. That's what he's working on right now. He's trying to get himself back on the straight and narrow, and we keep seeing all these pictures from his agent, how he's all bumped up again, hopefully cleanly this time, and he's all ready to rock and roll if the NFL um, – reinstate them. How he's going to have to do that, he's going to have to talk to Roger Miguel. That's the part that worries me because I don't know how that feature works or when he's even eligible to go talk to Roger Goodell. And as far as I know, Roger Goodell can just say, can just give him the proverbial finger and say, no, I won't talk to you. And then we can just say goodbye to Deion Jordan altogether. So, if he's on the field, I think Deion Jordan can be good. And he's certainly better than Andre Branch, at least I'll say that much. I don't know if he's better than Shelby, but I don't, I'm not really sold on Andre Branch, and I'm certainly not sold on Terrence today. not yet. I think the young Gordon be better than those guys, but it all, it all really depends on whether or not Roger Goodell says, yes, you can play football again, because if he says no, or he just doesn't give him the time of day, then there's really no point in talking about it. I agree. I think that it's, uh, I mean, the important thing is you're going to know really quick whether it's going to work or it's not going to work. And that was part of my comment that I made with the Adam Gase thing. And it's nice to know that you've got, you've, you've got this sort of, um, you know, deciding rod in there now where it comes in and it just makes a decision. And I mean, it's not something that has to play out. I mean, you're going to find out quick whether he's a guy who's going to play for you or if he's not. And um, one question I also wanted to ask how is, I mean, you, you mentioned Laramie Tunsil, but before, that entire situation unraveled on draft night. Who was your guy? Cause we talked a lot about this. Like you asked me about corners. We were talking about guys we liked. Did you have a number one player in this draft? Number one that like my heart was just set on getting, or you mean like who my favorite player was overall? Uh, both, whatever. Uh, I'd say Jalen Ramsey is probably my best player in the draft and a player that I really wanted. I mean, 
I've always been a Buckeyes fan, so I kind of had my heart. I kind of wanted Ezekiel Elliott. I didn't think he was worth trading up for. So either Elliott or uh, I know William Jackson III really started to grow on me. So he was probably the guy come draft day I really thought the Dolphins would get. I think the Bengals got a really good player with that guy. I'm jealous. I mean, I'm not not jealous enough to give up Laramie Tunsil for him, but um, no, I like where we're at. So uh, we're actually going to go ahead and cut this show a little short tonight just because um, I've got a couple of things going on. I mentioned to Ron, I'm in the midst of changing jobs right now. My choice. I didn't oh, get I yeah, I know. Um, it's just a shorter show tonight. Um, but we will bring you back next week and we'll have a longer conversation. How it's, uh, happy to have you on. I hope you'll join us again. And I want to say that you put up that photo of your wedding and it looked like you were wearing aqua shoes. Am I, yeah, am I correct? I was. Good man. Yeah. And a, and a dolphin's tie and socks and I was all decked out. And your wife was cool with that. Yeah. She was actually the one that planned all that stuff. So I married a good one. Oh, oh my God. Paper. I know. Yeah. I, I think. I hey, think um, we, real quick ahead, before Josh. Yeah, real quick before you go, Josh. I just wanted to thank you for the awesome uh, Twitter avatar, man. Good job on that. I got oh, yeah, lots man. of Anytime. good response. <laughs> I appreciate awesome. it. And I also I have to say that. that I also have to say that um, if you look uh, really hard at there, that Josh not only is great at Photoshop, but he's apparently the best dentist because my teeth have never looked better. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my he's, that's awesome. <laughs> he's an, un, an undiscovered talent on the Finsider. Josh, we're really happy that you're able to stop by and uh, go ahead. Maybe we'll bring you on next week and we can uh, find some more stuff to talk about. Sounds, sounds good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Right. No problem. Have a great night. You too. That is awesome that his wife planned that. I got to say, that's probably one of the coolest things I've yeah, heard in a while just because – I mean, like, typically, I mean, like, you're you're married, I am too. It's one of those things where, I mean, it's it's a tight ship. When you yeah, have that, that ain't kind of flying thing. around here. Yeah, that's not no. flying around the can, the can of house, household. Heck no. Yeah, no, no. there's not going to be any dolphins tie and aqua shoes uh, at the wedding. That's for sure. Oh, that's so cool. I am once, so, so. Once my princess will come and she'll be wearing an aqua colored dress. There you go. Look at you. Just go ahead and, like, yeah, it's not really up to you. It's up to me. I'm deciding the colors. They're aqua and orange. What's up now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's up is weddings off. <laughs> yeah, <what's> up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, now this is taking a turn. Well, you, I don't know if I'll go that far. So, all right. I want to go ahead and thank, uh, I want to thank Matt Dar. Oh, what's going on there? Uh, I want to thank Matt Dar for um, going ahead and stopping by, um, chatting with us last week. He was a really cool interview. Um, I, I want to thank the lady that I yelled at in the um, Northwest Herald break room when that happened. Uh, I'm I'm not sorry that I had to do that. I am sorry that I yelled as loud as I did when that happened. Uh, I want to thank Josh Houts for going ahead and give us a call. Uh, we had another guy who wanted to call in, and we didn't hear back from him. So there's always next week. I want to thank Lewis for uh, his um, uh, eventual um, parachuting into the show like a uh, – like a mid-level boxing match in the early nineties. So, um, and then I want to go ahead and thank, uh, my uh, co-host Ron Canniff. Thanks for uh, joining me again. And, uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't really think about it, but, um, well, I have to think I should have house clean up one of my pictures now and then, and then put it out there. 
So he can go ahead and take away any uh, age lines that I have and make me look 18 again. So yeah, you can you can look important on Twitter like I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all about looking distinguished. So and exactly. you have a good tie. You have a good tie in that picture too. So all right, for everyone here, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thanks to Matt Dar again. Uh, we'll be back this time next Wednesday. So um, we'll stop in. We'll have more guests that time, or I should say that show. Uh, until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. It's time to answer the call, little buddy. I'm talking about big beef, dislocate your jaw kind of wide. This, that, charbroiled unicorn boy, bacon, big pig, slab, cut thick, sizzling for shizzling on velvet sheet of ooey gooey. Ooh, a wild, wild western bacon cheeseburger. Carl Jr. I'm calling your name. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.